Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a scalable, full-stack monitoring platform. Datadog's synthetic monitoring enables you to detect front-end errors and performance errors by analyzing user sessions and receiving actionable alerts. API tests help you detect and debug user-facing issues in critical endpoints and applications. Build and deploy self-maintaining browser tests to simulate user journeys from global locations. Start proactively monitoring your user experience today with a free 14-day trial of Datadog by visiting datadog.com slash frontend dash cloudcast. That's datadog.com slash frontend dash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody's doing well today. I'm I'm actually doing the cloud news of the week this week. Aaron is uh is on his first trip, I think his first work trip in a, in a very very long time. And uh, the Cloudcast boys were actually both traveling this week for a little bit of uh, a little bit of work stuff. Aaron went to Las Vegas. I went to Boston. And uh, uh, right on cue, both of us had uh, terrible uh, <laughs> terrible airplane experiences. I think he uh, he had his was worse than mine. His flight got canceled. He actually had to go home and fly back the next day. Mine just uh, mine just got delayed like three hours because of weather. But uh, Anyways, I hope for those of you that do travel or are traveling about, uh, your experiences are slightly better than the ones that we had this week. Anyways, uh, it is a very, very slow cloud news of the week, and I think it's because we are getting towards the end of summer, uh, end of August 2022, and most marketing PR press teams have basically said, nope, I'm not releasing anything this week. I'm probably not releasing anything too much next week because uh, it's the end of summer. I'm going to enjoy whatever I can because right after uh, Labor Day in the United States starts and fall uh, trade show season starts, everything starts to get uh, wacky and crazy and you get uh, sales teams and various company things happening in Q3, end of Q3 and Q4. And so uh, this week and next week will probably be pretty slow uh, cloud news of the week. But uh, let's hit on a few little things. Um, you know, as, as most things in technology, for those of you that are around for a little while, you know that uh, there's everything that stays the same in technology, uh, except for the mainframe uh, and Java. And, uh, and at some point, everything uh, wants to centralize and then decentralize. And then at some point it centralizes again and decentralizes. And so, you know, we never necessarily get completely new ideas. We just get kind of reincarnation of old ideas with faster chips and more bandwidth. Uh, So I bring that up because this week we're starting to see articles written uh, that devs do not want to do ops work. Devs do not want to be involved with uh, any operational things, which, so, uh, you know, the, the is DevOps dead conversation, which I think we had maybe three or four months ago. Um, you know, it's never dead. Nothing's ever dead in any technology, but we are starting to see, uh, all those devs who, uh, were out there claiming they are full stack engineers. And if they write the code, they want to run it. Uh, we're starting to see some, some blowback on that. I suspect part of it is because, uh, People are working very long hours. They're very tired from from COVID. COVID still has a lot of lingering effects. Um, you know, we've seen some some layoffs. People aren't necessarily getting the big raises. They're not necessarily getting the the big stock options and all that stuff. And they're going, "Hey, man, I want to focus on what I want to focus on. I don't want to do everybody's work." So expect to see a bunch of, uh, "Hey, Dev and Ops need to be separated." Uh, things again. So maybe we're going to see Dev days and Ops days in two different rooms or something like that. Uh, Twitter, for those of you that follow along and the, the controversy going on Twitter, has some new new controversy this week. I don't usually like to give it any time. I'm not going to give it any time. But if you're into following Twitter, uh, there's some controversy over there, something about security stuff going on. Um, pay attention to it if you want. Twitter's been Twitter's been a, t- a tire fire, dumpster fire since its inception. It still is. Uh, still a great way to meet people. Still a great way to sort of learn what's going on. But uh, company's never been run well. 
Uh, YouTube is launching podcasts. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I sort of look at it this way. There are a lot of people who do really awesome podcasts, and there are a lot of people who have really figured out, uh, especially since the pandemic, um, how to do their podcast as video. Um, they look good. Their backgrounds look good. They stream it. Um, I feel like Aaron and I are sort of like the wiki, the Wikipedia of podcasts. Like We've always been the same format. We always do things the same way. We will probably not do them as a video. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm sure there are people who would say, take the audio and load it into a video file and put the face of the person you're talking to. I don't really have the time to do that. But if you guys really want to see us in person or, you know, I guess see us live or see us talking to our guests live, I guess we could. Um, it's not high in our priority list, but if it's really, really important to you, let us know. Uh, we'll, we'll sort of, sort of take people's temperature and see how it goes. Um, and the last thing I, I got on my list, and this may end up becoming a, a Sunday perspective or something, there's a new term floating around out there called uh, quiet quitting. Um, and I, it's one of those ones I really don't want to get started on. It's basically the, you know, quiet quitting is I don't want to quit my job, but I'm just going to do the bare minimum of my job. And I, quite honestly, and, you know, the whole point of this is everybody's going, well, you know, empower workers, managers are working you too hard, all those sort of things. I, I will say this. You know, as somebody who's been both a, an individual contributor and a manager and an executive and run his own company, the worst thing you can possibly do uh, to advance your career is to do the most bare minimum that you can do. If you are just doing it for a period of time, you're tired, you're in between what you're doing, you need it for healthcare, whatever, but don't make this a lifestyle. Please don't make me have to do a Sunday conversation about why this is a lifestyle and it's a good thing and all that kind of stuff. It's not a good thing, right? It's Doing the bare minimum is never going to be a good thing for your career. So if you're looking to do something for a summer, you know, you want a, a summer job, fine, do that. Um, but if you're, if you're, you know, listening to shows like this and others because you want to improve your career, uh, we will never, never be endorsing this idea of quiet quitting. So anyways, with that, uh, let's get on to a more interesting topic and a more interesting sort of trend. Um, Aaron had a chance to talk to our uh, good friends from Datadog who like to come and tell us whenever they've uh, collected a bunch of information, a bunch of good metadata, if you will, and context around trends in the industry. They always have really uh, good information about uh, uh, what's been going on in their world. And they're going to come talk to us about the state of serverless right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Lightstep Incident Response. Built on the ServiceNow platform used by over 6,000 companies worldwide, Lightstep Incident Response allows you to scale your incident response team without adding to your monthly bill. With intelligent on-call scheduling and escalations, you get the full context of your service health. Lightstep Incident Response immediately pinpoints issues and uses machine learning to send group text, reducing your time to respond. And you can seamlessly orchestrate alert and incident triage with on-call scheduling across Slack, Teams, Zoom, desktop, and mobile. So get started today with a free 30-day trial of Lightstep Incident Response by visiting lightstep.com cloudcast. That's lightstep.com cloudcast. And get a free t-shirt after your first alert or incident. Today's show is brought to you by Granulate, an Intel company, and their new offering, G Maestro. G Maestro allows you to reduce your Kubernetes costs by up to 60% with autonomous, continuous workload and pod right sizing. With G Maestro, you gain full visibility into your Kubernetes clusters and eliminate overprovisioning without compromising performance or affecting your competitive SLAs. G Maestro can be installed with a single line of code and provides visibility into inefficiencies within your Kubernetes clusters. Users can automatically apply HPA, CPU, and memory request changes that can be employed to save up to 60% on compute costs. And the best part, it's absolutely free. 
Try G-Maestro yourself at granulate.io slash gmaestro to begin optimizing your Kubernetes today. That's granulate.io slash gmaestro to begin optimizing your Kubernetes today. And we're back and really good both topic and guest this week. So as many know, we've covered serverless here on the Cloudcast for a number of years. And one of the things that's almost become an annual tradition now is digging into the Datadog State of Serverless report. We did it uh, last year as well and uh, wanted to dig in again because it is probably the, the, the single source of truth, if you will, when it comes to really digging in on metrics and state of serverless. And so joined today, we have AJ, engineering lead over at Datadog. How you doing, AJ? Hey, Aaron, I'm doing great. It's great to be here. I really appreciate the invite. Absolutely. So first of all, welcome to the show. But you've been around the serverless market for quite a while now. So tell everyone a little bit about your background and, of course, your focus at Datadog. Sure, absolutely. Um, so my background lies in kind of building uh, SaaS apps. My early uh, early career history out of school was working at a, a tech startup in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. I think I reached for my first Lambda function in late 2016, early 2017. Um, from there, I kind of picked up the serverless framework and, and built a couple of, of really um, really useful and interesting applications that really helped out uh, our, the company I was working at at the time, where we were at, especially in our development uh, space. We were sort of at a point where um, the company had grown really fast. We had acquired a number of other companies, other small startups, and that led to our operations team being stretched super thin so I was sort of given a um, a mandate to to go off and, and you know hit these deadlines and, and build the, these applications, and I, I I didn't really have the the traditional ops team that I was used to. So coming from a Ruby on Rails background, it was like pretty hard for me to to try and figure out you know how to build apps on EC2 or how how we would do that securely. So I I looked around and picked up the serverless framework, um, and the productivity gains I had with this were, were just it's really hard to to <laughs> to even fathom how much more productive I was at the time from from hacking on shell scripts and and you know early early days of confirmation to serverless framework. It was just like such a such an increase in productivity, and I just fell in love with it. Um, so I worked on that service for for a number of years, um, and eventually the team behind the serverless framework actually reached out um, they had started a company. So I, I hopped over there for another few years. Um, you know, worked on serverless framework and serverless adjacent or serverless framework adjacent applications for for a while there, um, and decided I really wanted to focus on the serverless observability space. So, um, made a few phone calls and you know um, knew a few folks at Datadog, and the fit was right. So I've been here for for just about a year and year and change now, um, focused on the serverless application performance monitoring and kind of all things serverless space here at Datadog. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Now I will add too, we we've heard, you know, over the years, just fantastic things about the serverless framework and, and yeah, you know, Brian and I were at serverless conf. Uh, I want to say it was in Austin. Um, and, and t had a long chat with the folks there and, and it was really great to catch up with them. And that's years ago now, but it, it was, it was great to see the product evolve over time. So yeah, let's dig in. Um, adoption of serverless, first of all, uh, in all the major clouds. Um, year over year and, and kind of historically have the offerings in each of the clouds, like, 
are we at the point where they're kind of all the same and it's becoming somewhat of a commodity or do you think like at the end of the day certain features are factoring into using multiple clouds like tell everyone a little bit about the 10,000 foot view of all of this sure yeah yeah definitely um at a high level you know the the laughable answer is both right like they some some of the offerings have, have commodified i think um I kind of like to go off on tangents a lot, but but compute specifically, I think we've seen commodify in the serverless space. Um, I think that's a good thing for serverless developers and serverless customers. Um, I don't think they're all at the same level. And in fact, um, it's kind of hard to say, um, you know, it's it's very hard to level set across any of the clouds anyway, because their offerings are, are growing and they're a lot different. Um, so, you know, I think that um, it, it's been it's been really interesting in these these last couple of years because we're, we're seeing... Um, you know, AWS, which traditionally launched with Lambda and kind of one of the, the early movers in the serverless space, um, they've now start, started playing catch up in other areas. We've seen them introduce AppRunner, which um, is a, a scale by concurrency instead of, you know, scale by, by function invocation. Um, and that's more similar to like how Cloud Run, Cloud Run works. Um, I think that's that's very interesting development that's kind of happening recently. Um, but these offerings in the clouds are continually being to continue to be pretty unique. And there's different offerings and different aspects of each cloud, which are very different. Um, that is partly what made um, or what, what makes these multi-cloud infrastructure code systems really hard um, because not only are the, um, the, the individual, you know, managed queues, managed data source, managed manage compute, um, the kind of serverless, serverless products that we love, they're all different. They also integrate differently. Uh, and that makes it kind of hard to kind of roll out one framework that can kind of go anywhere. Um, but ultimately, we're definitely seeing the fact that I, I think serverless adoptees, you know, users of serverless technology, they're not necessarily focused primarily on being, you know, like a multi-cloud or optimizing their software or, or development practices for multi-cloud. I think predominantly they're focused on on just shipping software, right, to, to users quickly. And they think that prioritizing time to market is key for their business. Um, and I think that's what's really factoring into to serverless adoption in, in each cloud. Makes sense. Makes sense. Thank you for that, AJ. And Kind of, I wanted to move on to programming languages because this one I found okay, really yeah. fascinating. So, Node.js and Python lead the way. That's no surprise there. I mean, that's been that way, totally. I think, as long as serverless has been around. But what I found fascinating was most companies are using three plus languages. Are you surprised by the breadth of that as well? Or, or can you help elaborate maybe with a little bit of the why behind that? Yeah, I'd love to. And this is one of my one of my most favorite facts about this year's State of Serverless report. Um, Python and Node have historically been the dominant languages used to build serverless applications for a number of good reasons. Um, but what I love seeing is, you know, these these languages we typically associate with more enterprise services or more, more enterprise companies that are kind of being brought to, to serverless uh, Lambda functions. So we've got, you know, Java, Go, and .NET are really really ramping up. And when you see the fact that like most organizations are using, you know, three or more languages, um, I think that's very telling, right? I think serverless um, starts as glue code in a lot of companies. People have, you know, one or two needs that don't quite fit into an application or, a, a, you know, service-oriented architecture that they have today, but they, they just need to glue these two pieces together, right? So they reach for, for Lambda and it's just so easy to get started with Python or Node and they kind of start there. Now that goes on for you know a year, two years, and then eventually they have another need that comes up, and this time they want to take Lambda more toward the core of their application, and that's where you start to see like .NET and Java start to to enter into the picture here. So I think that's really telling of kind of the growth and maturity of, of serverless 
as it's adopting these, uh, is we're seeing this growth for these languages that are common in enterprises that are, that are really entering this, this space right now. Um, so surprised, I don't know if I'd say surprised, um, but I would say it, I'm encouraged by it. Fair, fair. And do you think we're at a point um, where in another couple of years, maybe the top two is different? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I, I love I love speculation. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it would be hard to see anything overtaken maybe the next couple of years, but I don't want to you know never say never, right? Um, I, I do think that it is just a common pattern for Node or Lambda or Node and Lambda or you know Python and Lambda be like the first move into into serverless for organizations. Um, but I, I it wouldn't surprise me if we just saw more and more, more and more people reaching straight for those languages which they already are using everywhere. Um, at the same time, you know, these these serverless um, offerings, they're they're getting more performant, right? Early early on in Lambda, we would see massive cold start penalties for compiled languages like Java or Go. Uh, and now we're seeing those those start to improve, you know, steadily every year. And that's one of the benefits of serverless, right? Like you invest in somebody else owning and maintaining the platform and improving it from underneath you, and you get these performance benefits without you having to do anything on your end. So, you know, yeah, I could I could totally see a world if all all runtimes had the same, you know, performance characteristics, and you could just bring whatever language you you're most comfortable with um, to a serverless platform. Yeah, I could absolutely see any number of these languages, or perhaps a new one we haven't we haven't seen yet taking over. Um, you know, next couple of years, maybe not, but um, you know, five ten years, I think you you could definitely see it. Okay, okay, and. Uh, another one that is, so again, I tried cherry picking some, some nuggets out of the, the report. Yeah. Pick your favorite. Um, I, I just found this fascinating, but it, it was also kind of surprising. So 50% of all serverless is tied to API gateway usage. Um, and, and I, I don't know, I guess in my head, I expected it to be tied more to event driven services. And, and so I'm just wondering, how are folks using this? And maybe you could give us a little insight into why that API gateway usage was so high in this context. Yeah, um, I thought this was also pretty fascinating. And I think there's other aspects of this this fact, right, of, of like what's invoking Lambda functions. That's like really, really interesting. Um, but ultimately, you know, the, the, the lowest abstraction that's common across, you know, the, the, the common language we speak on the web is like an HTTP request. So I think it's just a very natural way to uh, have people start, um, you know, and at the same time, developers that maybe haven't, you've got developers that are like, you know, long time back in API developers that are going to reach for, you know, an API integration probably first. And you've also got, you know, other other users that, that are potentially more like Jamstack developers that are going to reach for their first, you know, serverless function and their, their first kind of backend implementation. And it's also probably going to be an API. So I think that sort of explains why it's so popular. You know, it's the lowest common denominator as far as integrations into other services. And again, as we said, like serverless code is very popular for for glue code to, to kind of put two different pieces together. So if you just need a webhook, and you, you know you're going to have like a some company's going to integrate with your company, maybe like a weekly report or something, it's just so much easier to say, okay, here's an endpoint you can hit. You know, we'll handle the creation of the you know pre-signed S3 URL, and you can drop your your PDF file there, and then we'll get this event afterwards. But you know, it's common to have that API first kind of kind of step. Yeah. Um, that being said, I think one of the most interesting things on this on this is just the meteoric rise of EventBridge. Um, you know, I'm looking at the report now, and we're, 
the, the third most common uh, integration for Lambda functions or, or an event bridge event. And that's a very new service. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's only a few years old. Um, I personally really enjoy working with it. I think it's a great developer experience. I think that, um, you know, it's the kind of thing that can be the central nervous system or, you know, the core of your serverless application because it allows you to, to really embrace that event, event first kind of event driven architecture in a user friendly way. Um, and that, that did surprise me that it was so high up, but I'm also rooting for it because <laughs> I'm a fan. Sure. Fair, fair. And and I'll add this too. And I, I don't remember the exact source, but I just saw it on Twitter actually right before we, we jumped on the call here and I actually retweeted it as well. Um, I know there's kind of been a Gartner report, you know, or Gartner statistics floating around of like, oh, this percentage is, you know, of the web is API driven now and, you know, and, and further breakdowns from there. And, and apparently they just released a, an updated one for 2022 as well. And it was, it basically has jumped to, I forget the exact total, but it was 90 plus percent is all APIs now. Um, wow. And then it was 80 to 90% in all the other categories as well. When some of the other categories were maybe like 50. Um, wow. So, so, you know, it's, it's safe to say APIs are here to stay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, um, and it, it's not that, you know, other other integrations aren't great, right? Like you've got other protocols, you've got other, um, like gRPC is a you know, common way that backend services are going to communicate in the cloud. I think we'll see more of that. I think that sort of thing will creep in, um, you know, binary payloads versus like JSON or, or you know, protobuf are, are certainly popular. Um, I, I think we'll probably see more of that, but it's just so easy to be able to hand a URL to somebody and it's really the common language of the web. So, you know, um, I do see that to continue to be super popular, but, you know, event bridge is creeping up. I don't know if we'll ever see like a complete takeover versus like all the various ways you can invoke a Lambda function um, via a, a HTTP URL. There's very, there's several now. Um, but I, I was really, really surprised to see event bridge take off like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic insight. Thank you. And AJ, let me ask you this. Let's talk about containers for a little bit as well. Um, there's, been a decent bit of variety in the usage patterns uh, between the cloud offerings and whether it's ECS, Kubernetes, or Cloud Run, Azure Container Instances. Um, is this like an indication that that portion of the market and those usage, pad usage patterns associated with it, are they like still evolving or is... I'm just trying to understand a little bit of like why was there so much flux there. So, so the the space is really in flux, and I think it'll continue to stay in flux as these cloud providers are sort of figuring out where users want to to consume, you know, com compute from them. Um, be it something that the users get to kind of manage and decide what type of instances they're running, versus something like you know Fargate ECS, where you can sort of just launch a task, but it'll run and consume and work on multiple requests at the same time. Um, you have that sort of offering coming in on App Runner um, as well as GCP and container instances. All of those are really taking off, right? Cloud Runners, we're seeing it grow really fast. We're seeing container instances um, grow really, really fast, you know, compared to um, like uh, Azure Functions. Um, and, you know, we're, we're seeing we're seeing like all of these different compute options for, for AWS as well take off. Um, and I think the cloud providers are trying to find that balance of what developers want. Um, you know, I, I am certainly intrigued by the scaling factor of concurrent requests. I think that's a common denominator between uh, container instances, Cloud Run, and App Runner, where you can sort of 
deploy a container and say, okay, once I hit 500 concurrent requests, give me another container. Um, I think that's really interesting because it sort of strikes a really nice balance between just run my code, but also, you know, don't over-provision things, which you can sort of get into in some function as a service environments. Um, but ultimately, the other part of your question was containers. And I think that is a settled score, my friend. Um, the second Lambda introduced the ability to deploy containers on top of, you know, on Lambda versus a zip file, um, that sort of ended the debate. Uh, everywhere else, containers are the standard. Um, I think they've certainly won the packaging debate as far as how we deploy cloud-native applications. Um, and, you know, yeah, in serverless as well as in other, other offerings like ECS, you know, EKS, Fargate, et cetera. Yep, yep. Okay, okay. And let's talk about Datadog for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so with, with all of the flux we just talked about, um, how have the Datadog serverless tools had to evolve and keep up with all the changes? And you, you said you've been there about a year. Um, I'm sure mm-hmm. it's been a pretty crazy year with all the changes happening in the serverless market. <laughs> yeah, Eric, it has been a wild year. Um, I'm really enjoying it. I kind of thrive in that sort of environment. Um, but yeah, it is, it is fast paced. Um, the cloud providers are really, you know, they're, they're competing, they're competing. They want your dollar as a developer. I think it's a, never been a better time to be a serverless developer right now because there's so much competition. Um, on our side, you know, we we provide tools for all of our all of our partners. Um, we try and be good launch partners and be ready, you know, on day one when a new feature comes out on any of these these clouds or these serverless offerings. We try and have support for it in Datadog. Um, it's a really really important aspect of what we do. Um, you know, we've been working with the, the cloud providers. We, we famously with Lambda, you know, work with um, their team on Lambda extensions, which allowed Datadog's agent to sort of run as a sidecar um, early in the serverless kind of Lambda uh, lifecycle. We would have to run our telemetry, you know, inside of your Lambda function, uh, which isn't the best customer user experience, right? We want to make sure that we can collect all this data and. Uh, aggregate it, batch it, compress it, and send it back asynchronously outside of like the hot path of your Lambda function running. So we're able to do that with them. And I think we're, you know, we're continuing to, on the other side of things, integrate with tools developers love. So we have like a serverless plugin, we have a CDK construct, we have a CloudFormation macro, you know, we're, we're whatever tool you want to use to deploy these services, these, these serverless services we're ready for. Um, we're also working on, we've got our own CLI tool that can kind of instrument just generic um, uh, Lambda functions in your AWS account. And, you know, other other clouds, of course, we're, we've got tools for, for their various uh, um, infrastructure as code tools as well. Nice. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to close it out maybe a little differently. I got one more question. Sure. Yeah. Um, what kind of challenges? I mean... Are, are serverless developers facing today, right? Because we're we're talking about all these advancements and and things mm-hmm. are getting better, but I mean it's not perfect, right? So, totally. So, what are some of the big big things that that really come top of mind today? Yeah, I think there are three things that that serverless developers that are really kind of dealing with. Um, your you can even like step back and say like, what are organizations who are adopting serverless really facing? Um, I think the first is the infrastructure as code tools that allow you to sort of define what kind of serverless application you want to build and deploy it. Um, those are still evolving, right? Like we talked about on the top of the call, you know, we or at the top of the podcast, we've got the serverless framework that's been around for a long time, but we've also got, you know, CDK, architect framework, serverless stack, um, 
all of these different tools are, are available now, um, along with other tools that are you know more more vendor agnostic. You've got like Terraform that that's out there, and then all of the clouds like themselves, cloud formation, uh, ARM templates, and Bicep on Azure. You know, um, all, all all of these things are sort of existing or coming out to, to fruition today. Um, but it's still nebulous. And when you you know if you if you Google like okay serverless GCP or serverless Azure or serverless you know AWS, you're going to have a thousand different options. So I think that's a big challenge is what, what tool are you, would an organization pick and how do you even decide? Um, you kind of, it's a bit of a chicken in the egg situation where you sort of have to have tried a few um, before you know which one is going to be best for you. Uh, but that's very much uh, a challenging thing right now. And I would encourage folks to definitely pick an infrastructure as tool. It's going <laughs> to, in the long run, it's going to pay off. Um, the second thing I think is cloud competency. You know, serverless applications are a combination of, of services which you pay for only what you use, but they're still different services. And you sort of have to understand the compute parts and the data parts and the API gateway parts, you know, and the, the queues and the topics and the asynchronous communication and kind of streaming software and blob storage. All of those are a little bit different. Um, I think the biggest one there in all of that list, though, is identity and access management. Um, you know, poorly, poorly secured Blob storage as three buckets is one of the, the biggest causes of data leaks for, for companies today. Um, it's, a, it's a serious issue. Developers have to learn it and take it seriously. And it's just not something that, you know, they teach in, in schools or boot camps or, you know, new graduates really have to develop that. <laughs> they have to get used to that. There's not an operations person manning the firewall anymore, right? You have to sort of do that yourself. Um, I think the final thing that, that a lot of service developers are facing is, look, serverless services, they're distributed systems, you know, by default, you have to kind of understand the, the trade-offs and the different consequences of the decisions you're making of the tools you're using. Um, because it's, it's unlike, you know, running a, a Ruby on Rails server and having, you know, active record and, and an ORM and one MySQL instance sort of idea there, you've got a, a system that's ready to scale up to, to huge, huge numbers of requests per second, a huge amounts of throughput, but you really have to understand how it's, how it's working under the hood for you to take full advantage of that. Um, you know, famously, like uh, Alex Debris' DynamoDB guidebook is is very popular resource for, for folks who are learning how to model um, data in a, in a non-relational database. Um, and and it, it's a type of thing that that it's designed to be a distributed system because those are reliable, those scale really well, they're fault tolerant, they have all these these qualities we like. But at its at its first level, when you first try them out, you don't realize what you're interacting with. And I think like developing that distributed systems knowledge is is key to organizations embracing serverless. So I think those are the three things, developer experience, product competency, and distributed systems knowledge. Fantastic. Great answer. And and I'll add this too real quick when you're talking about the competency portion. Yeah, I, I will just say it, it it's really become... Uh, you know, famously, uh, the 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 answer for a lot of things because you know, the the I'll say destruction of the perimeter and, yep. and your point of no one manning the firewalls, right? Um, and and yeah, when everyone's learning, you you just want to learn how to make things run, and no one takes right. enough time to learn how to secure it on top of it. <laughs> yeah, it's key. It really is. You know, and it's it's just. Um, we're also seeing a convergence of, you know, the the DevOps movement. Developers are doing a lot of their own operations now. That's something we, we see a lot in Datadog. Like our, you know, our users are, are developers. They're not necessarily people that are just in charge of running the infrastructure. And serverless specifically, right? Like you're offloading a portion of that responsibility, you know, in AWS's shared uh, responsibility model, you offload a portion of that to, to AWS. But 
you're still in charge of telling Amazon how to enforce your, your identity and access management policies. You still have to make sure that you're not allowing anybody to access your S3 bucket. Um, there's only so much they can help you through that. Yep. So that that's a key uh, you know, for organizations adopting serverless. Yeah, it's your, your typical, the shared responsibility model in the cloud, right? Yep. All yeah. right. So AJ, with that, I'm going to close us out. Thank you so much for your time. And I will say everyone, if you're interested in this, and I would encourage you, please go check out the state of serverless report for 2022. The link is in there, um, as well as links to everything Datadog as well. So I'm going to close us out for this week on behalf of Brian, who wasn't able to make it. Thank you. Uh, to everyone who listens. uh, And thank you for continuing to tell a friend um, to rate us uh, if you have that ability wherever you get your podcast. And as always, we would love to uh, receive your feedback as well. And ideas for guests is always welcome in addition. So with that, I'm going to close us out. And thank you very much, AJ. And we will talk to everyone next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 